Today, the town is known by its Arabic name, which is variously transliterated as El Azaria, Al Azaria, El Azaria, or simply Azaria. They mean the same thing, the place of Lazarus. In Jesus' time, the town, now in Palestinian territory outside Jerusalem, was called in Greek Bethania. In English, it is known as Bethany. It is the site of the gospel story known as the raising of Lazarus, in which Jesus raises from the dead a man named Lazarus, who had been shut away in his tomb for several days. Before his death, the man had lived with his two sisters, Martha and Mary, in their house in Bethany, where Jesus would find respite from his busy public ministry in nearby Jerusalem. Lazarus' story, which is also his sister's story and Jesus' story, is the reason that more than 2,000 years later, pilgrims still visit Al-Azariah. It is also the reason for this book. The etymology of the town's original name is complicated. It could mean house of affliction or even house of figs or dates. Aramaic-speaking tour guides in Israel sometimes opt for Bethania, house of the poor. An almshouse may have been in the town, or the town may have been where sick people and their families lived. Some scholars have posited that Bethany, perched on a limestone ridge on the Mount of Olives, was one of the three villages located east of Jerusalem that are mentioned in the Temple Scroll, one of the ancient Dead Sea Scrolls found at the archaeological site at Qumran. According to the Temple Scroll, these villages had to be 3,000 cubits from the Temple. Evidently, they served as places for the ritually impure, including those with leprosy and other skin ailments, to wait until they had attained ritual purity and could participate in the Temple ceremonies. Thus, the translation as House of Affliction. Reaching Al-Azariah from Jerusalem is more difficult today than in past decades, owing to the 20-foot-high wall that the Israeli government erected around the Palestinian territories in 2002. The Israelis call it the security wall, the Palestinians the separation wall. In the past, one could walk directly from Al-Azariah to the Old City, the walled enclosure in Jerusalem that is composed of four quarters that reflect ancient history and current tensions, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and Armenian. One could begin at Al-Azariah, clamber down the steep Mount of Olives, linger at the Garden of Gethsemane, where centuries-old olive trees still bloom, descend into the Kidron Valley, ascend again, and pass through the imposing Lion's Gate in the old city walls, thus retracing the route Jesus would have taken on Palm Sunday. But today, the path is blocked. To reach Lazarus's tomb, you must take a bus that boards at the Damascus Gate, wends around the wall, and threads through the narrow streets of Al-Azariah, a trip of some 30 minutes. Like many other towns in Palestinian territory, Al-Azariah boasts few amenities, and thanks to ongoing political conflicts with the State of Israel, has neither trash collection 
nor a working police force. Consequently, trash clots the streets, which nonetheless abound with busy residents visiting the modest shops, butchers, hairdressing salons, convenience stores that line the streets. I was once with a group of pilgrims that entered Al-Azariya by bus. After hearing about the lack of police, one of the pilgrims asked our Palestinian Christian guide, a friendly and savvy man named Meher, what would happen in the event of a car accident. He shrugged his shoulders eloquently. They have to work it out, he said. Near the highest point in the town is the Church of St. Lazarus, a 20th century structure of Jerusalem stone, the material from which nearly all buildings in Jerusalem are constructed. The creamy white limestone gleams in the bright sunlight, making the city shine on both sunny and cloudy days. The church was designed by Antonio Barluzzi, an Italian architect and favorite of Benito Mussolini, who built several structures in the Holy Land, including the Church of the Beatitudes by the Sea of Galilee, the spot where tradition claims Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and the Church of All Nations near the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed on the evening before his crucifixion. The term Holy Land refers to the area of Christian pilgrimage that includes the modern state of Israel, the Palestinian territories, western Jordan, as well as parts of southern Lebanon and southwestern Syria. The squarish interior of the Church of St. Lazarus, largely unadorned, is filled with hard, straight-backed wooden pews. Its remarkable acoustics mean that even poorly sung hymns resonate. Every time I've been inside, even on the warmest days, it's been cold. I'm not sure that the interior ever gets warm. Over the altar is a brightly colored semicircular mosaic depicting the gospel passage that recounts what happened here 2,000 years ago. Mary and Martha, two of Jesus' closest friends, send word to Jesus that their brother is ill. After receiving news of his friend's illness, Jesus waits several days before coming to their town. In the interim, Lazarus dies. In dazzling colors, the mosaic shows the moment when Jesus arrived in Bethany. One sister, wearing a sky-blue robe over a red tunic, falls to her knees, hands outstretched, in awe of their friend, who wears a white tunic and a yellow cloak, his body surrounded by a golden halo. The other sister, in a yellow robe and pale green veil, stands with hands clasped in prayer. On either side, disciples in oranges, pinks, and greens gesture to the central figure of the mosaic, Jesus. As John's Gospel recounts the story, Martha initially scolds Jesus about his delay. Lord, if you had been here, she says, my brother would not have died. In response, Jesus asks Martha if she believes in the resurrection. Yes, she says. She knows that people will be raised up on the last day, a commonly held Jewish belief at the time. Jesus' answer is written in Latin, at the bottom of the mosaic in gold letters, Ego sum resurrectio et vita, I am the resurrection and the life. In a modest stone courtyard outside the church, pilgrims from around the world 
gathered to listen to explanations from tour guides about this gospel passage, the church, and the town. Small signs describe the long history of the place. Cats prowl around. Crowds here are smaller than those at other Holy Land sites, such as the Church of the Nativity, celebrating where Christians believe Jesus was born, or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, celebrating where they believe Jesus died, where pilgrims sometimes stand shoulder to shoulder for hours, waiting to enter the Holy Sites. But here, there is often no one in either the church or the courtyard. The church's location in Palestinian territory makes access more difficult and some pilgrims think more dangerous. When I ask people who have been pilgrims to the Holy Land if they visited the tomb of Lazarus, they often say, our tour guide said it was too dangerous. Or, more commonly, with some surprise, you can visit Lazarus's tomb? It's still there? A few feet away, at the top of a gentle incline, is a pocket-sized garden with succulents and bird-of-paradise plants, enclosed by a gate. Outside the gate are broad steps leading up to a hill. The low stone steps enable less nimble tourists to ascend the incline, which leads from the church all the way up to the separation wall. Near the top of the steps on the left-hand side is a stone structure with a door. Atop the stone structure is the prayer tower of a mosque, whose origins date back to the 15th century. In the 16th century, the Ottomans built the larger Al-Uzair Mosque, named after Lazarus. Access to the lower level is through a passage cut into the side of the mosque. A weathered orange metal sign affixed to the building points to a small doorway and says in blocky black letters in Hebrew, Arabic, and apostrophe-less English, Lazarus Tomb. Why Lazarus? My first visit to Al-Azariya was 10 years ago. I had gone to Israel for pilgrimage and research, for a spiritual journey, and for preparation for a book on the life of Jesus Christ. A Jesuit friend named George was my travel companion for two weeks. We visited the usual sites that Christian pilgrims have frequented for two millennia, places that even the most lapsed of Christians have heard of, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee. Initially, I hadn't planned on going to the Holy Land at all. Why travel so far to a place that I had wrongly suspected would feel dangerous? Besides, as a Jesuit, I had read about, prayed over, and studied the Gospels for decades. What more could a single trip teach me? Moreover, I didn't want my mental images of these sites ruined by the real-life places, which I assumed, wrongly in most cases, would prove too touristy. But Drew Christensen, a Jesuit scholar and the editor-in-chief of America Magazine at the time, urged me. Drew was an expert on Jewish-Christian relations and had been to Israel many times. You can't write a book on the life of Christ and not know something about where he lived, said Drew. There is a reason, he said, that the Holy Land is often called the fifth gospel, the gospel that opens up the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I went. And the easiest way to explain what happened 
was that the difference between my expectation and my experience was vast. My expectation, that it would be interesting and that I would learn a lot. That's what I told everyone who asked. My experience, that it was life-changing to stand where Jesus stood, walk where Jesus walked, and see what Jesus saw. You might raise an eyebrow at that last statement. How could anyone know where Jesus walked or what he saw? Well, we don't know the precise locations of many of the gospel stories. Where did he cure the woman with the hemorrhage? Who knows? Somewhere near the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. But we don't know the exact spot. Where did he preach the Sermon on the Mount? Today you can visit the Mount of Beatitudes, also by the Sea of Galilee, but it could just as easily have been another hillside. But for other stories, we do know the spot. Jerusalem has always been in the same location. So when you're going up to Jerusalem, as the Psalms say, you know that you're ascending the same incline that Jesus and his disciples ascended on their journeys there. There is even a series of stone steps leading from the Mount of Olives to the Old City, dating from the time of Jesus, which he and the disciples most likely used. Ditto for Nazareth. It's still there, nestled in the same valley as it was when Jesus lived there as a boy and a young adult. The Sea of Galilee, still there. It's the same body of water, a lake really, not a sea. And Jesus saw it, sailed on it, and walked on it too. There are myriad places in the Holy Land where we can say with complete certainty, Jesus was here. Another place that Jesus surely visited was Bethany, high on the list of sites I wanted to visit. I had long been transfixed by the story of Lazarus. But why? My mother asked me that question when I told her what my next book would be about. Why Lazarus? So did many friends, Christians and Catholics, as well as my Jesuit brothers. Lazarus? Really? A look on their faces seemed to say, I know the story and I like it well enough, but a whole book? It's best to answer that question straight away. The story of the raising of Lazarus, traditionally called Jesus' greatest miracle, which is unintentionally risible, as if there were a contest among his miracles, has always exerted a tremendous hold on me. 